everybody, and welcome to Do Discourse, where we have conversations that need to happen. I'm your host, Ronald Taylor. I'm Chris Long. And welcome to episode two. Live and in person. Yeah. <laughs> if you are just listening and not watching on YouTube, we are together for the first time to record um, outside of our original Small World episode. And so we're really excited to be able to you know, be in the same room. Uh, we live an hour away, you know, apart from each other. So we don't usually get to do this, but hopefully we'll be able to take the opportunity to do that um, again in the future. Yeah, for sure. It's also good to spend some time with you, get to hang out as well, get that fellowship in, losing every single game we play. <laughs> I don't even understand how that's possible, honestly. Chris thought, <laughs> Chris caught an L on Madden, NHL, <laughs> NASCAR. <laughs> NASCAR was the worst because I wanted to do good at that one. But it's funny because it was the first time I'd ever played Madden <laughs> and maybe like the third time I played NHL. <laughs> to be fair, I'd never played NHL or NASCAR. So, Oh, man. Good stuff. <laughs> well, today we want to take the time to get back to the basics and set the stage. Um, you know, we are going to have some conversations. We're going to, um, you know, want to have a true discourse um, and, you know, speak authoritatively on the topics that we're going to cover um, in this podcast. And realistically, you know, by what authority are we speaking on? You know, for anybody that's coming in, hopefully once we get, you know, 10, 12 episodes down the road, you will have, a, you know, have gone from the beginning with us and kind of have seen who we are, you know, what we stand for and by what authority that we speak. And so we wanted to really be clear um, on some, you know, non-negotiables of, of what we believe in our Christian faith. Um, and I think we've got about four points, uh, that we'll hopefully elaborate on, uh, in, you know, in around 30 minutes today. So buckle up, keeping it tight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, you know, we, we really are, this is really important to us, mm -hmm. you know, cause we definitely don't want to be people that just go off and, and blow, you know, our opinions and are blowing smoke and people just are, you know, they, they're just quick to dismiss you because there's no consistency in what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to definitely have consistency, but through what we believe, you know, in our convictions um, instead of everything just being an opinion for us. So I think the first thing for us as believers is the inerrancy of scripture. Right. As Christians, you know, setting the stage, the foundation is everything that we know about God, everything we read about God, everything we learn about God is through his scripture. Right. And his scripture being without error. So everything that we read from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the Old Testament through the New Testament, like everything that we read, we have to believe that it's true. We have to hold that it's true and we have to have faith that it's true. Right. So we have to believe, but not only should we believe, but we have to trust, you know, and have faith in that. So we see in second Timothy three sixteen through 17, it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Like that's it. That's it in a nutshell, right? What is it? Scripture. Who wrote it? God. What is it used for teaching reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, right? For every format in life, scripture is it. Why? 
so that the man of God, right, so that the Christian, the believer, may be complete and lacking in nothing, equipped for every good work, right? It, it's the only thing that exists for us to gain, to to be trained up into a man of God. Mm-hmm. Now we have, you know, we have seminars, we have conferences, we have study tools, we have pastors, we have churches, all of those things train us to be better men and women of God, but because they are based off of scripture, right? And they're based off the trust and the faith that scripture is true. And so with that being said, you know, it's going to propel us to our second point. If Chris, do you have anything else to add on the inerrancy of scripture? Yeah, I had two things I wanted to add. Yeah. Um, not only that scripture is inerrant, but that we take it literally to says, to say what it, to mean what it says. Yeah. Or, I did just wake up, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that it, that it means what it says. Yeah, for sure. You want to take number two for us? Yeah. Um, and number two, we have the triune God. So we believe in one God and three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In that, we have some scriptural evidence to back that. Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Hebrews one three, he says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the words of his power. And then if we move over to John 1, the beginning of the gospel of John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world would not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. (laughs) But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as only, sorry, glory as of the only son, from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom, whom I said, he who comes after me makes rank before me because he was before me. For his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You want to take the last couple ones? Yeah. And so, and going back um, through those real quick, you know, we let's take note that, you know, through all of those references and, you know, hopefully you guys can go back and, and get those references and, and look into those on your own time. Um, man, we, we want to look at, there's not an explicit statement within scripture that, that says Trinity, right? The word Trinity was something that, you know, that man had kind of created to kind of categorize what we believe in the triune God, because scripture is explicit about it, right? You know, verse 26 of Genesis, he says, God said, let us make man. So who is us, right? That means that the Trinity existed from the the very beginning of time, right? God, the son and the spirit existed from the very, the very beginning of time. Um, in Hebrews, when he says God, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint of somebody's nature has to be an exact reflection of them. Right. So we can see that Jesus and God hold the same power. 
And then in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, right? And then in 14, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. We see, okay, well, if the word is like scripture, right? The word is what God has communicated to us. And then that manifested into flesh and became man. We see that that left that playing field is level, right? It's the same thing there. Um, and then in John 14, starting in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. And that day you will know that I am my father and you and me and I and you. And then fast forward to 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Right? This is an introduction of, of us seeing God, the father, God, the son and the Holy Spirit being introduced here in one passage together. And that's so big because we we see in Matthew 28 that that great commission statement, right, where Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, of the son and of the Holy Spirit. Right. The Trinity. That's that's it. I mean, like if you don't believe that there's a Trinity, you're not reading the Bible. Right. You're not seeing that teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right. And we have some non-negotiable commands here in Matthew 28. Right. One, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So one, in order to make a disciple, we have to do what? Be a disciple. We have to be a disciple. Right. So we have to be a disciple. We have to make disciples. And then we have to do two things on top of that, which is one after conversion, which we'll talk about in a second as well, is baptism. Right. We need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we need to continue to teach them. Right. Teaching them what to observe all that I've commanded you. Well, we don't know what all God has commanded us unless we're participating in the rest of scripture, right? We can't just pick and choose. People go, oh, I jump into the Bible and I'm so confused. Well, absolutely, you're going to be confused because if you jump into the middle of any other book or a movie, it's not going to make any sense, yep. right? So we need to teach them to do that. And then Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. So if there's only one God, that means that we have three persons and one God, right? God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit existing in one God. First uh, Peter one, two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father and the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. This shows us the roles, right? Of, of these three persons in one God. The foreknowledge of God, the father, the sanctification of the spirit. Sanctification just means us being made more like Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. Right. Like we are constantly every day becoming more like Jesus because of the time that we continually spend with him and the work that the spirit is participating with us. And then for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. Right. The great sacrifice that he that he uh did on the cross. And we'll get to, to a little bit more of those in, in detail here in a second. So we have a, a triune God and three, we have the problem of sin. Chris, what, what is sin? So sin is a transgression against God. It is anything that separates us from God and his nature. All right. So where did sin enter the world? Sin entered the world through man. 
and man's poor choices. So if we look at <laughs> and man's poor choices, <laughs> if we take a look at Genesis two uh, verses fifteen through seventeen. It says, "The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must surely eat from every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat." For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Yeah, so we, you know, we we have a command here, and this is like the first moment that there's, like, there's something being told that we can't do, right? As man, like, he's like, hey, you can literally do everything <laughs> right now. You can do everything in this garden, but don't do this. You have one job. Yeah, don't do this. And what happens? They do it. Yeah. Right. You want to read Genesis three right there? Yeah. Um, just sorry, before we move on, I do want to touch on one important thing about the verses that we just read. Um, in the beginning of 15 or at the end of 15, he says he put man in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So like mm-hmm. in the, in the command of don't eat from this tree, there's also the command to maintain the garden and take care of it and make sure nothing bad happens, which inevitably will be part of the downfall of man. Yeah. So. Cause he's not protecting. Right. You know, when, when the downfall happens, mm-hmm. if you want to read Genesis three, we can yep. continue with that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did I say ye? This Yo. isn't King James. <laughs> Chris is a pirate. <laughs> lest ye <me> die. <laughs> lest ye die. Okay, picking up in verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be made like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Ugh, women. Am I right? <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> I don't endorse that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that the point that, you know, Chris made before we read Genesis three here is that, you know, Adam had a responsibility. Um, We there, there's some, some jargon and terminology saying that, that Adam was the first federal head, right? Which means that Adam had full responsibility. He had, he had, you know, full responsibility and accountability at like for the human race at this point in time. So that means, you know, everything that he, that everything that happened, he was responsible for on earth here. Now, granted, it's just him and Eve at this point in time. Um, and then the things that he did to toil in the garden. Right. So he didn't have a ton that he was accountable for. Um, but man, where it mattered, it mattered and he failed. Right. Because even though the serpent came, right. Is Satan in the form of serpent came to Eve to tempt her. And then she's the one that initially fell for that. He wasn't keeping her, right? He wasn't protecting her. 
he should have, if he like, he knew it was wrong as well, right? They both knew it was wrong. He was in her presence. It wasn't like she was off by herself, you know, and Satan got her alone and then tricked her. No, he was there, right? It says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So he literally watched this happen, didn't say anything, didn't do anything to prevent this. And then their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked, right? So like, this is, it's not Eve's fault. Everybody places blame on Eve and it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's half her fault and it's half Adam's fault for not protecting her and being like, Hey, actually, why are we talking to the snake? <laughs> <laughs> like part of me wonders, like, did all animals talk back then? Like, was it normal that this snake came up and was like, Hey, <laughs> you guys should eat this because you're not going to die. <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, it's super normal. There's a snake talking right now. But I don't know. I digress. Not super important. If animals did talk, then what would a dog sound like? I don't know. Probably a hillbilly. <laughs> the first Appalachian. The first Appalachian. I just picture a bloodhound. They're literally in the Middle East. And this dog's like, <laughs> this dog's like, hey, y'all. Hey, man, you better not listen to that thing over there. <laughs> You want me to take care of that snake right there? I'll get him. I'll get him real good. Hey, there, dang, 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 bro. That thing, you better not listen to that thing or whatever, man. I'll take care of him real quick. Look, only good snake is a dead snake. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, continuing into Genesis 3.17, we're going to see a consequence here, right? It says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Look, guys, I promise we love women. (laughs) We are not sexist. I promise. We are like, we are just making light um, of a situation, which, you know, it's, it's serious, but we're also on a podcast. Um, And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And eaten of the tree, which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat all of the days of your life. And then in 23, it says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree, um, the way to the tree of life. Now, this is crazy. Me Me and Chris were actually talking about this yesterday. Um, confirmed. So, (laughs) so they had access to every tree, every fruit in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I think people will try to argue, you know, well, why, why couldn't they, you know, eat of that tree? Like, why would God say no? Well, one, as Job found out, we're not to question the ways of the Lord. But I think a lot of it is like, you know, to protect us. Right. I think, man, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's better. Like, you know, I think one of the reasons that childhood was so great, the reason why we're so nostalgic about childhood, most of us, I know some of us had really traumatic childhoods. Um, but I think one of the reasons that it's so nostalgic, especially the younger that we are is, we're just ignorant to things we're ignorant to reality and i think one of those things is like you know it's not really the 
the knowledge of good that is what that God was trying to withhold from us. It's like the knowledge of evil there, right? It's the fact that it exists. Um, the fact that, that Satan is crafty, the fact that Satan exists, the fact that Satan's trying to, to overthrow God, you know, even though he knows that there's no way that he can do that. I think there's tons of people, you know, you're running from the police, <laughs> like, you know, that you're going to get arrested, but what do they still do, man? They're still running, right? They, they still think that there's a chance, even though they know at the end of the day, it's, it's not going to happen, you know, but there's always that, like that, that little shimmer, that glimmer of hope, um, you know, even if it's for something that's not good. And so, but there was also a tree, right? As we see in the end of Genesis 24 there that there's a tree of life. Well, before Adam and Eve were disobedient, they had access to the tree of life. But before they ate of the other fruit, and it's like, man, they had the like access to the best stuff in the garden, even access to living forever with God the Father in paradise. And they traded that because they wanted, they thought they wanted something that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's something that we see often is like, man, the, the grass is always greener. Right. We think we want something because somebody else has it, but man, Satan was cast out from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like we, they thought Satan had something, but he really didn't, you know, and they, and it was just manipulation. You know, they were manipulated into that. Um, and even today, I think there are things that we want, you know, maybe a different job, a different life, um, you know, whatever it may be that other people have. But I think we know even some of the, the most famous celebrities are, are miserable, right, are really lacking um, and what and what they want and what they have. So we, now we have a problem, right? We have the issue of sin there. Now there's, there's a disruption in the harmony, right? There's a break in the relationship between God and man. And we have the need for a savior, right? And God tells him continuing here in Genesis four that, um, or in, in the end of Genesis three, that, you know, he's going to send someone to, to crush the head of the serpent. Like the heel of this person is going to be bruised, but the head of Satan is going to be crushed. Right. Um, and so we know, you know, coming out of the Old Testament, right, the there's a foreshadowing, right? There's a foreshadowing of a Christ to come. There's a foreshadowing of a Messiah to come. And throughout the Old Testament, there's types of people that come around, um, like Noah and Moses and Abraham and David. Like all of these people are types of Christ. Like they're people that come in to save Israel at a specific point, even though Israel's constantly being disobedient. Now Israel's the chosen people of God, right? And the Jews are a part of Israel, which are the, the chosen people of God. And they are constantly working toward trying to like figure out who this Messiah is going to be, right? And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's even, you know, a period of hundreds of years where like God is just silent before this person takes the scene. Now, who, who is this Messiah, Chris? Who is this chosen person that's going to save people from the wrath of God? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ! Yeah, so I think one of our other non-negotiables, right? One of the other things that, that separate us from a ton of different faiths, right? So first we see we've got the triune God, right? Second, we, oh, 
No, first we have the inerrancy of scripture, right? Scripture is breathed out by God, right? Written by God, profitable for teaching. Even though it was written by men, right? It was penned by men, but was breathed out by God. Two, we have the triune God, right? The Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And then we have the problem of sin, right? Sin exists. All of these things, like if you don't believe in any of these things, we you cannot be a Christian. And then fourthly, not finally, right? And not least, <laughs> um, we have Jesus, yeah. right? Jesus is fully man and fully God. Um, so Jesus is being, he's the only way to heaven, right? He's our only access, uh, salvation by grace through faith alone, right? So, and, and we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about his life in a little bit more depth through, um, through some references here, but Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? Like he was born of a virgin, um, through the Virgin Mary, right? Had an earthly father, had brothers and sisters, like lived a life, like a normal life as a kid, right? Can't imagine <laughs> what's going through his head as God. Yeah. We can't fathom that, right? We know, I mean, we see it at 12 years old, my dude is like in the temple preaching, <laughs> right? At 12. And like his family, they're, they're in town, like <laughs> doing business and they're going back home. So they're trapped like a three days journey back home. And Mary, like, it's like that home alone scene where they're like, they're like on the plane. And it's like, she's like, huh, thinking about, huh, well, something's wrong. Like something's missing. And then she's like, oh, Jesus! <laughs> like, we got to go back. We got to go get Jesus. And they're like searching and searching and searching for Jesus. And it's like, come to find out he's in the temple preaching, you know, like to, to grown men and grown men are listening to him because he's God. Right. And it's so unfathomable to think about like the time that he spent like reading Torah, like studying the old Testament, studying God's word. Um, but then like just that relationship that he has with God, the father, you know, in prayer, even from a young age, cause he doesn't start his ministry until he's 30. Right. Like he's got years where he's just Jesus from Nazareth. Right. Like there's even a point in time where Jesus talks about him. Like it's hard for a prophet to preach to his hometown. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they know him. They're like, how could Jesus be God? Like he's Jesus. So, so we're to think about that, but we know, yeah, he is fully God. He's fully man. Like angels came as messengers to Mary and Joseph to say, Hey, like the Messiah, you about to give birth to him. I know you haven't had sex with anyone, but it's about, you about to give birth. Right. And so they, they accept that they take that, you know, Mary is, is joyful. I know she, she, she weeps, she's excited, she's nervous, she's anxious, but goes through with it. Like as a teenager, right? Like as a young woman and man, Jesus starts to fully declare, you know, especially in his ministry, those three years that he is God. And John 14, five, he says, uh, Thomas, which is one of his disciples at the time says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way, right? How can we know the way to salvation? How can we know the way to where you're going? Right. You said you're going to be with your father. Well, how do we get there? And he says, well, I am the way, right? I am the truth and I am the life, right? He's the word manifest. He's the word become flesh. And he says, no one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, right? You can't get to God except through me. 
because we're the same person, right? From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Boom. Trinit- like another Trinitarian reference, right? Like, you know that this is who he is. Now, also, we see in, in instances in scripture that Jesus is, he's our great and last prophet, right? Because there are prophets in the Old Testament that God had sent. And then he's our great and last priest. Because even at this point in time, there were priests that would come and and be like mediator between God and man. They would be the representative, the human representative that would go in the temple, go in the Holy of Holies, present the sacrifice and communicate to God and repent before God on the behalf of man. This is kind of where we still see like the Catholic faith, you know, taking place of where, you know, congregates have to go to a priest and say, hey, like. These are my sins. I need these forgiven. Priest says, go, my child, you've been forgiven. And then they supposedly go and speak to God on on their behalf and then they're forgiven. Well, that's wrong. Like, that's false. Like, we don't need that because Jesus is our mediator. And if Jesus is our mediator and we have, he says, I'm leaving the spirit with you. Then the spirit that dwells within us is the access to the father that we have because God, the father, the son, and the spirit, all the same person. So we have access through that because Jesus died on the cross, right? That's so important. Like we have to see, okay, Jesus was fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life, right? A sinless life and died a death on the cross to pay for our sin. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a second. Uh, Chris, you want to talk about God being our, our priest and our prophet? Uh, yeah. So you want me to jump into the scripture? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Talk about it. Reference. Yeah. So Hebrews four, starting in verse 14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time to help in time of need. So like even there we see the duality, that aspect of Jesus being fully man and fully God, because just as we are tempted, he is tempted, but without sin. Uh, I'm curious. I do have a question just for the broader audience to get a little more understanding. How would you explain to someone in layman's terms, fully man and fully God, not to like put you on the spot. Like how would I like, yeah. how would I explain that? <clears throat> well, so I think in that, uh, I was going to make a comment here in a section about like Jesus being able to like withstand temptation mm-hmm. and like how much that actually means. So Jesus being fully man is the fact that he, you know, has flesh, he has bone, he has blood. Like he was born, he was a baby, right? He couldn't, there was a point in time where he couldn't fend for himself because he was a baby. He became a toddler. Like, I mean, he grew at a normal rate, right? Of manhood and he would have to die, right? He lived, he breathed, he was sustained physically by God, the father, as we are today. And then he would have to die in his flesh. Right now, the fully God aspect though, is because of the virgin birth, the importance of the virgin birth here is that, you know, in the garden, we have Adam and Eve, and everybody after Adam and Eve are born into a curse of sin because he was the federal head, right? So everything he did, there was a consequence for not only him, but also his children, right? And we are direct descendants of, of Adam. And so through that, one of the, the, the reason that there had to be a virgin birth, the reason that like 
Adam, Adam, the reason that Jesus as the second Adam, actually, we'll get to that too. Um, the reason that there had to be a virgin birth is so that that line could be broken. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, because he was born of Mary and not Joseph, he, God, the father was his father, right? She was came over by the spirit that he's not born in that curse of sin anymore. Right. So he's, there's that capability of him to be 100% God because he's not born in the curse of sin. Everybody else is born in the curse of sin. Even now we are born in the curse of sin, but he's not. So he had the capability to be perfect, right? Because he was God, because he had that Godness in him. And so the crazy thing, you know, when we look at Hebrews four and it says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. There is time where Jesus spent time in the wilderness for 40 days and fasted, um, no drink, no, like no water, no food, and was tempted by the devil. Like Satan actually comes to him like, in his being and then is tempting Jesus at different like heights Mm -hmm. of Israel of Jerusalem. And is like, you know, just succumb to me, submit to me, like do whatever I ask you and I'll make you great. And Jesus is like, dude, who are you to tempt the Lord, your God, Mm -hmm. you know? And he rebukes him with scripture. Like even Jesus, like God himself is quoting scripture. If Jesus quotes scripture, like, that should bring more authority to the inerrancy of scripture, right? And the authority and power that scripture has. And so, but the crazy thing is, you know, for our strongest temptations, there's a time where we fail, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a time where we fall short. Things like our temptation is so strong up to a point where most of us fail. Yeah. All of us fail outside of Jesus, whether that be us getting angry, right? Because we're tired, us getting short. Um, but then even to the point of, you know, addictions, like we fail and we're like, oh, but it's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, we don't know how hard it could be, though. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus withstood temptation all the way up to the point where like it was at its peak and still said no. Mm-hmm. Right. That means Jesus felt our temptation even, pa- even, even further past where we could because we succumbed to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is so crazy. And then you want to talk about um, God being our, our last prophet as well. And our great prophet. Yeah. So uh, Luke sixteen sixteen says the law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. Then in Hebrews ver- verses one through 14 in chapter one, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's a loaded chunk of verses. (laughs) All right, we're done. (laughs) So good. Like it's so good. And it's wild because so, you know, back, back backpedaling a little bit, you know, a prophet is just somebody, you know, who communicates um, on behalf of God's people right there. They're messengers on earth that God has established in authority um, to communicate a word from God. Right. Well, Jesus is the great, high last priest or last prophet um, because 
he's God, right? He's the greatest priest because he's God. He's God in the flesh on earth. He's the greatest everything. And so we see that is so important because he, again, we see here, you know, we read this earlier that he's the great, he's the, the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and made purifications for sin, right? So we see priests formally, prophets formally, you know, would come on behalf of God, communicate on behalf of the people. And that's what Jesus did to the utmost as priest and prophet. He came on our behalf, but not only did he sacrifice because, you know, before this, they would sacrifice animals, you know, like based off of the law that God had given and the instruction that God had given in the Old Testament. But it was all temporary, right? It was all foreshadowing to, to Jesus coming, right? It was like this, this holding and this waiting period. But now Jesus being the perfect and spotless lamb, right? The reason we hear that is because lambs were sacrificial animals, right? They would take the cleanest and best lamb and sacrifice that and give that to God. Well, now Jesus is perfect and spotless, right? Because he's not sinned. He's not been blemished by sin. And then he's that perfect sacrifice that would ultimately, you know, end with him on the cross and dying. Now, um, before we, before we look at some, some theological terms, another non-negotiable here with Jesus being God is that not only did he live a perfect life and not only did he die, he, he has to have raised from the dead, Mm -hmm. right? He, he said, Hey, at three days, I'm going to raise from the dead and be, be in life everlasting. Right. And he's like, you guys will have access to life everlasting. And so for us, we go, okay, well, if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, then we can't raise from the dead. But sure enough, he did like the tomb was empty. Right. And there's actually, you know, extra biblical evidence that, that people have talked about Jesus of Nazareth, you know, being raised from the dead and which is really cool. Um, and maybe we'll do an episode soon, just kind of like, you know, is the Bible reliable um, and just, you know, context and historical context of, you know, scripture being true. <clears throat> I think our main one right now is over thousands of years, tons and tons and tons and tons of men, hundreds of men partook in writing scripture and nothing contradicts. Mm-hmm. Right. People that say the Bible contradicts have not read the Bible. Like the Bible does not contradict. There are things that, you know, there are some verbiage that exists, you know, especially kind of in the gospels where they're, they're four different men writing their perspective of what happened. They're, they're writing narratively, right. They're, they're telling a story of what happens, but nothing contradicts. Like it all says the same thing, Mm -hmm. especially like the main idea of each story. And there's even times where, you know, they, they talk about themselves failing or making a mistake or doing these things. And it's like, surely Middle Eastern men, like especially Jewish Middle Eastern men, like they're not going to boast and them being stupid, right? Yeah. You're going to embellish. Whenever we tell a story, like if you tell a fishing story or a hunting story, you're like, nee, the fish was this big, you know, it's like, this three feet long. Well, no, it's probably, you know less than a foot long, but you're going to, you're going to embellish to it. It was a minnow. <laughs> yeah, it was a minnow. <laughs> like you're going to embellish on something to, to make it seem, you know, better to make yourself look better because we're men, right? We're fallen. We're sinful. Like we want to feel good about ourselves. <clears throat> and through that, like we see, no man, so often these people talk about them making mistakes, right? <clears throat> I mean, we, we see people owning up to their mistakes, like the disciples owning up to their mistakes. Um, so I think, I think that's really important. I think it's one of the things, you know, that we can kind of hint on. Um, 
especially lining up, you know, written in three languages across two continents over the yeah. course of thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all comes together, right? Mm-hmm. It all works. All right. And on that note, we're going to pause right here and we'll continue part two of this episode next week. Uh, we'll jump right into just looking at some theological terms like propitiation, sanctification, justification, uh, and glorification. You know, all Every single one of those terms may sound heady and lofty, but they really hold a vital part uh, to the Christian faith. And then we'll even look at some things that we could even say were negotiable things um, where you could still be a Christian, but maybe you know, people differ on their interpretation of these, you know, of these particular themes. Um, like, you know, can you lose your salvation? You know, do you believe that people can fall away from the faith or do we believe that once saved, always saved, that you're secure in your salvation or, you know, communion, how often should you take communion? Um, you know, what does communion actually mean? And, you know, baptism, should you baptize infants or should you go into believers baptism? So there's a ton of things that, you know, we can all agree on have to happen, um, but maybe just some nuances, you know, where it doesn't disqualify us as believers, but it did, you know, come into place of, you know, why we have denominations now, you know, people disagreeing on specific things that aren't deal breakers, but they do make a little bit of a difference. So make sure you guys tune in next week as we kind of, you know, dig into those things and, you know, really allow these, these two episodes here to kind of set a foundation, to set the stage and kind of describe who we are and where we are in our faith and what we believe. So, you know, join us again next week and uh, we'll look forward to, to talking with you guys here on Dude Discourse. 